Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. I remember the day as if it were yesterday. That week leading up to the 26th of August 2014, nine years ago this year. We were on a family holiday uh, in Cornwall with some some close and dear friends, and we were a year into uh, what we knew was, at some point, a a terminal cancer for my father. We were on this holiday uh, when he suddenly and unexpectedly went downhill very rapidly, admitted into hospital, and then just a couple of days later uh, into a hospice when they said to us there was... There was little more that they could do. I remember the layout of the, the room he was given. I remember the, all, all the different parts of that, the reception area as we waited, as we took it in turns to spend precious final days with him. I remember the sofa where I was sat in the holiday home, uh, surrounded by these dear friends and the family and thinking of all those years ahead without him, wondering how I could ever possibly cope. As leaders in this church family, we are, we are acutely aware that raw grief like that is a very present reality for a number of us. Among us, there have been a considerable number of those we have lost in recent months. As we've been praying up, our wider community. We are still reeling from Eliane's murder. And that all comes alongside the the many other kinds of trials that are being faced uh, by many of us in the church family. And that's why we've we've chosen to begin this morning a three-week series in the Book of Lamentations. It's a lesser-known book, but I'm, I'm hopeful, prayerful for what God might do in us and through us in this book. If you've ever read it before, it might hear, sound a bit strange to hear me say that. It's, um, it's a pretty raw and honest book. And as we read through it together, it's going to uh, give us some things that are going to sound shocking, maybe even disturbing to us. So why would I say I'm, I'm hopeful, prayerful for what might, uh, God might do in us and through us? Well, because this book is going to give us some perspectives, perspectives to kind of anchor us in our faith. Perspectives to help us navigate uh, the world around us with all the trials that we face. Just to help us uh, get our bearings uh, in this before uh, Eileen brings us our first reading. Um, As you listen into these words, it will help to try and picture the scene. So the year is probably 587 BC. Uh, One of God's people, most likely the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he's walking around the ruins of Jerusalem. 
And as he takes in what he's seeing in the city, he, he begins to pour out his heart in anguish. I do turn with me to, to where we're going to be reading from. Lamentations chapter 1. Uh, it's on page 830. Page 830 in the Pew Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. Page 830. Here is Jeremiah. He's surrounded by the devastation uh, in Jerusalem. And this is what he writes. Chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. After the high point of God's people in the Old Testament under kings David and Solomon, there was then a long descent into a deeper and deeper sinfulness. The nation was divided into two kingdoms, and despite many warnings to repent, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, it was judged by God. The Assyrians conquered it uh, in 722. And the people of Judah, they were meant to see that, and they were meant to take note, but they, they basically ignored the prophets. Jeremiah and the other prophets who God sent to them, they also refused to turn back to God. And so after a terrible three-year-long siege, uh, including a famine, the city of Jerusalem fell to the armies of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, 587 BC. Jerusalem's plundered of its most valuable treasures. The temple is burned down and survivors either become slaves or exiles. And so from amidst this devastation, Jeremiah speaks the words of this book. We're going to look together at a portion of the opening two chapters this morning. So do keep your Bibles at page 830. And Eileen's going to come and read a portion of that for us. Thank you, Eileen. I'm going to begin at verse 18 in chapter 1, and read through to chapter 2, verse 5, and then we'll go to verse 11 after that. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look upon my suffering, My young men and young women have gone into exile. I called to my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed. For I have been most rebellious. Outside, the sword breathes. Inside, there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they may become like me. 
Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my sin. My groans are many and my heart is faint. How the Lord has covered his daughter of lion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. His fierce anger has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy, and he has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of the daughter of Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for the daughter of Judah. Now verse 11. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? as they faint like the wounded in the streets and the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? This is the word of the Lord. I didn't thank you so much. Uh, as I mentioned, this book uh, gives us some uh, perspectives uh, as we look to navigate suffering as believers in Christ. And so we're going to dive right in for the, f- 
the first of these perspectives in this book. We're going to spend most of our time here this morning. And the perspective is, is simply this. Simply, but it has massive ramifications for us. We live in a deeply broken world. That's what the book of Lamentations is calling out to us very vividly. This world is broken, really broken. It's not how it was meant to be. It's not how God created it to be. And all of us in our different ways feel uh, the effects of that. Jeremiah certainly did. The very first word out of his mouth, I wonder if you noticed in this book, is how. Verse 1, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. He looks around at the devastation of Jerusalem and he calls out to God, how? How is this happening to, to us, God? And from then on, uh, this pouring out of his heart just gets more and more desperate. Uh, it's worth knowing he's speaking kind of on his behalf, but also on behalf of the people. Uh, some of the things he says are, are being said for them. So he's speaking on behalf of the people and, and pouring out uh, his heart to God. Look, for example, with me at chapter 1, verse 16. This is why I weep. My eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. Or verse 20. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I'm in torment within. In my heart I am disturbed, for I've been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves. Inside there is only death. Now I wonder if it surprises you to hear one of God's people speaking to God like that. Perhaps we we hear those words and we ask ourselves, is that okay? Um, Is that really okay for the Christian to do that kind of raw honesty before God? And I think that's because this kind of language makes us nervous. It's as if at some level we feel uh, it might not be okay to talk to God like that. And yet the Bible is, is shot through with this kind of language. It's the language of lament. You'll know almost a third of the Psalms are laments. The book of Job is an extended lament. Man calling out, crying out before God, chapter after chapter. We have that here in this book. Again and again, and most notably in the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 5 says that that Jesus modeled what it looks like to cry out to God the Father. It says that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. So all of these laments, they're examples of God's people living in a deeply broken world, calling out to him with raw honesty. And we need that, don't we? that kind of honesty, because none of us can look at the world around us and look at our own lives and, and say that it's not a broken world, a deeply broken world that we live in. On our very doorstep, that has been brought home to us in the last couple of weeks, that tragic murder of Eliad. And can I say to us, we must resist the temptation as a church family to, to kind of isolate ourselves from that to isolate ourselves from the rest of this place in which God has placed us. I'd really commend to us, if we can possibly be there on Wednesday evening with other Croydon churches, other believers 
in our community as we pray for, as we seek to engage with our wider community. If you can be there, please, please be there. Us and isolate ourselves. And of course, it's really not all that long ago, we've all passed through this, this virus, world-changing events, brought wave after wave of grief, massive financial hardship, uh, contributed further to already widespread isolation in our community, to, to mental health struggles. Mourning over the, the war in Ukraine, 52 people killed at a funeral this week. And then just this weekend, huge escalation in Israel and Palestine. And of course, that only scratches the surface. Climate change, the evil of human, human trafficking, vulnerable younger people used to carry drugs, vulnerable older people uh, conned in their own homes, relational conflict, children estranged from parents, high divorce rates, terrible cases of domestic abuse. And so it goes on. A deeply broken world. And those things shouldn't... It's easy to sort of callous our hearts to those realities, but, but it should cause us, if we're followers of Jesus, it should cause us to call out in the kind of way that Jeremiah did. How long, O oh Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. So why, why then? Just think about this with me. Why is it that knowing all of that to be true about this broken world, why is it that knowing that to be true, this kind of raw, honest talking to God that we find in Lamentations, it feels so unfamiliar to many of us? I, my guess is that it's partly because we don't always model it very well to one another in, in the life of our church. We're not at all unique in this uh, as a church, but, but just think for a moment about our conversations after church. If you stick around to chat, just think about the kind of level of the conversation that we have. Can't be like this all the time, obviously, but, but how deep does the conversation go? Do we ever get beyond the sort of surface level? When you've had a, a really challenging week, someone comes up to you and says, how are you doing? And you know how it goes, oh, I'm fine. Those terrible two little words, I'm fine. I got caught up short on this a few weeks ago. Someone from the church family asked me that, and I kind of looked down and said, oh, yeah, fine, and actually hadn't had a great week. And they were like, I can tell you're not fine. Tell me what, you know. Those words, my, at my previous church, we had a wonderful lady who led the pastoral care team, and she actually wrote a whole book about those two words. She, she wrote a book about how we, we use those words, that, that kind of mentality to cover over a whole load of things that are going on beneath the surface. And maybe one reason that we kind of do that with one another is because we look around at others in the church family and mistakenly think that maybe they've got it all together and I haven't. So maybe you see someone raising their hands in worship, they've got a radiant smile on their face as they sing praise to the Lord, and you imagine that, well, life must be ticking along well for them. Or maybe this morning you are sitting here in church feeling broken and you're wondering if you're the only one. I guess what I'm trying to say to us in all of this is, is 
the world is deeply broken, so let's not go around pretending with one another that everything's fine. I want to say very clearly to us this morning, it's okay in this church family to not be okay. I think we need to hear this in our culture. You're a Christian here this morning, uh, admitting that you're okay, it doesn't mean sometimes people kind of think, oh, if I say I'm not okay, am I lacking in faith? Am I grumbling? Am I somehow failing as a Christian? It doesn't mean that. Just saying that it's not okay. Or you're, you're not a follower of Jesus here, and I just want to say to you, you're so welcome here. You don't have to pretend that, that life's okay and, and tied up and neatly packaged for you. You are so welcome here, however you are. See, admitting that we're not okay is, is simply honest, being honest and truthful, real. It's clearly seeing the world as it is. It's being honest about how that's, that, how the effects of that on us. It's so been a privilege to see that happening in recent months in, in a particular area of church life, the Renew Lounge. Um, so every Friday, if you don't know, every Friday from 10 to 5, uh, including lunch for those who are around at that point, we have this cafe space over in the centre. Uh, and it's a wonderful place of encouragement and support. The strapline of this is part of a national initiative. And the strapline is, is exactly this. It's okay to not be okay. And every week we have a good number there. And it's a place where we can be open, honest about how we are. We would love you to join us if you're around at that point any week. We'd love you to also tell your friends, family, and neighbours about that. There's postcards at both exits, uh, loads of those to, to give out to say, look, this is here for our community. See, this book, Lamentations, um, all of biblical lament, it's precious to us. It's in the Bible, I think, in part because it gives us language to use to express our pain. The Renew Lounge is a picture of how we can be like that with one another. And I just want us to imagine how, how we would grow in our ability to love and serve one another as a church family if that kind of honesty, kind of honesty of Jeremiah here, if that was normal for us. And partly to try and encourage that uh, is why I'm just being just open with you about a couple of things that are really hard for me. My prayer in sharing this is just that all of us would feel able to, to say, look, I'm not okay when we're not. So I've mentioned the, mentioned the death of my dad nine years ago. The other thing I wanted to share with you as a church family this morning is just a couple of seasons in my life where, where I've had quite serious depression. One was in my final year at university. The other was uh, actually just at my old church, a couple of years into working there after a period of, of, of real exhaustion. And so I live with both of those things in the reality of life, in the sort of background of life for me. So I've got a much better work-life balance, you'll be pleased to know, uh, and coping strategies than I did. But... But at times when I have low days, I, I can worry, Lord, am I going that way again? Slipping into another period of depression. And that's a worry that I live with. Other times, quite, quite out of blue, something uh, in a conversation, the words of a song maybe, uh, particular Bible passages, they'll just remind me again of my dad and, and then the grief will hit again. And you'll know it if you've lost someone. It doesn't... It can get easier over time, but it, that kind of grief never goes away. It's always there, somewhere in the background. And sometimes it hits again. And that all means that I find this, 
this language of biblical lament, hugely helpful. And so here's my encouragement to us as a church family. When we, when we feel the weight of the brokenness of this world, like we do this morning, let's be honest and talk about it. First with God, and then with one another. With God. As Xanthi prayed, this kind of suffering, it throws up lots of kind of how and why questions. So, so like the questions that Jeremiah asked at the start of chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2, he says this, how deserted lies the city once so full of people? And then chapter 2, verse 1, how the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. Translation, how has all of this happened to us, Lord? Or my question, why, God, did you have to take my dad at 56? You will have your, your own why and how, God, questions. And because those questions come to us, particularly hit us during times of suffering, the spiritual danger in those moments is that we, we move further away from God rather than towards him. But it's always better to, to, to take the path of this kind of raw honesty with God about things that we're finding hard. We don't need polished words or phrases to do this. You can simply tell God what's on our hearts. God, I don't understand this thing. Why is this happening, Lord? Lord, please help me. Please be with me in this. Now, that isn't, that isn't all that's involved in, in biblical lament. We're going to see more of what's involved in it in, in the coming weeks. But, but that is a really important place to start. Going to God with an honest acknowledgement of the things that are hard, saying to God, I'm not okay, sharing what's on our hearts, talk to God, and then talk to others. Listen with me to chapter 1, verse 16, and how the pain is made worse. This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. I think there is a lot of truth in that old saying of um, a problem shared is a problem halved. And so I want to say this morning, please, if things are hard for, your, for you at the moment, don't bottle it in. Talk to God and then reach out to brothers and sisters in the church family. One really precious way to do this, one reason we, we talk about small groups a lot is that in a big church, it can be easy for the things that we're finding hard to get lost if we don't know a good number of people well. Just a smaller number of people who we can really be honest and share life with. And that is what small groups in part are for. That is one wonderful benefit of being in a small group, to, to grow as Christians together in all of the pain and the mess of life. Natasha oversees our group and she would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you if you'd like to join one. Please do. That is a place in a big church that's particularly precious to be able to share life honestly. And just going to say thank you so much to those who lead those groups wonderfully week by week. Mentioned the Renew Lounge as well as a place for this kind of honest conversation. Uh, we also have prayer ministry every week. Again, that's a place of confidence. You can share those things with a couple of people in confidence. But it's a place where you can talk to God together and to one another about what's, what's hard. There's the particular opportunity of that bereavement journey coming up. A number of people already are, are, are wanting to be at that. And please do, do feel able to come, either for yourself to, to process things or to help others uh, process grief. 
uh, as Natasha mentioned, that's going to be led by a couple of wonderful, wise members of our church family, by Claire and by Carol. Um, and Carol also leads the pastoral care team. Uh, she does that with enormous amount of, of wisdom, of grace, of energy, and dedication. And that is true of all the members of this team. And uh, it's a great privilege to serve with them. Uh, and we're co- but we're just conscious that many of us may not actually know who's on that team. So, so here's the, the current makeup of the, the pastoral care team. Uh, includes the clergy, including David, who obviously is wonderful to, to have just had join with us as a family. Um, Joe's in the team in her role as family's pastor. Um, and then Carol, as I mentioned, she leads the team. Uh, and there we are. We've got Eileen, we've got Carol, we've got Liz, we've got Magdalena, all wanting to serve together at this church family. The, the way it works is that, that anyone in the church family can get in touch with us. Uh, you can speak to one of us directly. Um, or you can contact us through the email address that's there on the screen, care at emmanuelcoin.org.uk. Um, the idea of this team, it's not meant to replace uh, small groups, as I said, uh, but it's an, a, an additional resource for the church family. Uh, so we're here to talk, uh, pray, support you through anything that might be burdening you. Uh, we're saying we do share with one another within the team uh, the things that we uh, are shared with us, um, so that we know that between us we can cover the needs appropriately uh, and help one another. Uh, but outside of that, uh, those things are kept confidential. And we are always happy to hear from anyone in the church family. Uh, please know that that is a resource for you. Whatever age and stage you are, uh, that is for us. So that's the first uh, perspective that this book of Lamentations gives us, a deeply broken world. So let's not pretend that we're fine when we're not. Let's, let's learn to be people who talk to God and who talk to one another. Much more briefly, but I don't want us to pass over this. Here's the second perspective we get from these opening chapters. We live in a deeply world, broken world, and it's a world broken because of our sin. These chapters, they're reminding us of the brokenness of the world, but they also go further. When you read closely, you see that they're speaking of the cause of that brokenness. They're a vivid reminder that the world is broken because of our sin against the holy God. Notice, I wonder if you notice Jeremiah, he begins with crying out to God, how could this happen? But then over the course of those chapters, he, he shows some understanding that this destruction of Jerusalem it wasn't just a series of unfortunate events, unexpected. No, he says it was a response to the holy, by the Holy God to the sin of the people. A response that he warned them of again and again through the prophets. Verse 5, the Lord has brought her, that is God's people, grief because of her many sins. In the beginning, God, God created a perfect world. But these verses, they're a, they're a tragic reminder that, that we spoilt it. Ever since the fall in Genesis 3, we've been rebelling against God, and sin has broken the world. Now, please don't mishear this. I'm not saying uh, it means that every suffering that you and I experience is somehow the result of specific sins that we've committed. But we don't want to overlook this reality either. The world is broken because of our sin. That means all the suffering that we experience in this life has a root cause. You'll know that 
famous G.K. Chesterton line, perhaps, when he writes into the Times about the biggest problems of the world, and he simply writes, Dear Sir, I am. Dear Sir, I am. That's an even deeper problem, in fact, than the, than the suffering that Jeremiah is going through. It's the root cause. It's the problem expressed in chapter 1, verse 18. Jeremiah writes, The Lord is righteous. That is, God is completely holy, uh, set apart from us. There's nothing wrong in him. No evil exists in him. No wrongdoing comes from him. The Lord is righteous, says Jeremiah. But here's how the verse continues. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. And again, Jeremiah is speaking on his own behalf, but also on behalf of the people there. The Lord is righteous, but we've rebelled against his command. God is holy. They were not. And God called them to turn back to him in repentance. But again and again, they refused to listen. And so in chapter 2, it's made clear that this destruction that comes on them, it is the Lord's judgment on the people. Verse 6, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all their palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. The people won't turn back to God in repentance. And so he brings on them the judgment of the Babylonians, the invasion, the exile. And it's meant to serve, I think, as a picture for us of the brokenness of the world arising from our sin, our rebellion against the good and holy God of the universe. Now, this reaction, Jeremiah spotting this, is meant to, to help us, I think, when we suffer. See, this season of life that we're in, with all the kinds of brokenness I spoke of earlier, it can serve us to, rem- to remind us in a helpful way of, of how we contribute to the brokenness. All of us are, one person has said, we're all sinners, saints, and sufferers. So we're, we're sinners if we're in Christ. We contribute to the brokenness. We're sufferers, and we're saints. We're God's people. And sometimes when we suffer, we can be tempted to to forget that that we also play a part. And to sort of think, God, well, until you sort this thing out over here, I'm not going to kind of reckon with the other things in my life that maybe are off kilter. So my encouragement to us this morning is, during times of trial, do you have a place for, for mourning? Mourning over the brokenness of the world, but also mourning over over the specific ways that, that we contribute. Perhaps we could ask ourselves this week, in what ways, God, am I contributing to the brokenness of the world? Where do I need to repent? A deeply broken world. Talk to God. Talk to others. A world broken by our sinfulness. To ask God how we contribute, what we need to mourn over. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.